0: You. We're going to go to, children may be dismissed at Junior Church, so children may head off to Junior Church, and uh, Karen's there waiting for you. And we're going to be going to Genesis, uh, Psalm Psalm 16. Belay that order about Genesis, go to Psalm 16. And if you open your Bibles to about the middle, usually you're in Psalms right after Job. Of course, you can also uh, scroll through on your smartphone or on your, on the sermon notes, Psalm 16, and I received a question about low self-esteem. We are still in a sermon series regarding questions that people have asked, uh, coping with difficult times, and today we come to low self-esteem, and, and I want to talk to you about having our self-worth come from God. I want to talk to you for a few moments about reorienting, really reorienting ourselves towards god James Dobson writes If I were to draw a caricature that would symbolize the millions of adults with low self-esteem I would depict a bowed weary traveler over his shoulder I would place the end of a mile-long chain to which is attached tons of scrap iron old tires and garbage of all types each piece of junk is inscribed with the details of some humiliation a failure an embarrassment a rejection from the past he could let go of the chain he could let go of the chain and free himself from the heavy load which immobilizes and exhausts him but he is somehow convinced that it must be dragged Throughout life. Paralyzed by its weight, he plods onward, digging a furrow in the good earth as he goes. You can free yourself from the weight of the chain if you will but turn it loose. Notice he says, millions of Americans, millions of Americans dealing with low self esteem, pulling this weight, can't let go. We must reorient ourselves to getting our self-worth from God. And sometimes we need medical help. Sometimes we need counseling help. Sometimes it's purely rooted in spiritual disciplines. Uh, I would argue really uh, possibly all three. First and foremost is always about the spiritual. If the spiritual is off in our lives, everything else is off. If we're disconnected from the Lord, if we're not living in a relationship with the Lord, everything else is thrown off because then there's that void in our lives. But I also want to share right now, we are in a very, very busy, fast-paced world. And oftentimes, for whatever reason or reasons, we can't slow down. We can't make ourselves stop and meditate on a scriptural passage and sit in quiet even our devotions are speed through oftentimes, if we have devotions, if we are in the word. If we're not in the word, that's our first problem, always our first problem regarding whether low self-esteem or anxiety or depression or anger or, whatever, or whether we are just living in the dream and we don't think we have problems. You have a problem if you're not in the word every day and you call yourself a Christian because then it's like you're not eating every day. I call myself a human being, but I don't eat every day. Well, that's eventually going to catch up with us, won't it? You need to be in the word every day. We need quiet time. We need to slow down. We need that more than anything else. My theme today is we cope with low self-esteem by reorienting ourselves in the Lord. Reorienting ourselves in the Lord. And and I shared this quote before, but I want to share it again because C.S. Lewis is always worth repeating. Uh, Remember that you are not an ordinary person. I'm not trying to give you any cheesy self help, self love type stuff. I'm just trying to say the reality is you, as a human being, are created in the image of God, and you are not an ordinary person. And neither am I. (laughs) And neither are any of you. C.S. Lewis says there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as a life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal whores or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be of that kind. And it is in fact the merriest kind, which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no no presumption. And our charity must be a real and costly love with deep feeling for the sins in spite of which we love the sinner. No mere tolerance or indulgence, which parodies love as flippancy parodies merriment. Next, Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. Think about that. Your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. If he is your Christian neighbor, he is holy in almost the same way. The same way as a sacrament, he means. For in him also Christ ver latitat, the glorifier and the glorified, glory himself is truly hidden. You are not a mere mortal. No one you meet is a mere mortal. The people we ignore or we snub or we look down upon, they're, they're not mere mortals. They're immortal. And so are you. And when you're ignored or snubbed or you think treated poorly, you're not a mere mortal. You create an image of God. We are amazing image bearers of God. So we cope with low self-esteem by asking God to be our refuge. And if you've turned to Psalm 16, which is page 423 in the Pew Bibles, uh, but many of you probably follow along in another form. And I encourage you to follow along because I'm gonna talk about the first few verses and the last few verses. Psalm 16, verses one through two, uh, the psalmist writes, "'Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge.'" I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. We cope with low self-esteem by asking God to be our refuge, by going to the Lord in meditative prayer time, daily devotions. We need tag times. Tag, time alone with God. We need it and we go to the Lord and we cry out, Preserve me, O God, in you I take refuge. Maybe we would make the devotions more tangible by getting a pen and some paper in prayer journaling, writing out prayers or, or writing out requests or, or pouring our heart out by writing and saying, Preserve me, O God, in you I take refuge. We go to the Lord with our knees, we, we reorient ourselves in the Lord. We need that quiet time. One source shares: the psalmist seeks divine protection because he has remained loyal to God. He, he praises God for his, <coughs> sorry, rich blessings and is confident God will vindicate him and deliver him from death. Go to the Lord. But oftentimes, where do we go when we're down? Is it the Lord? Or is it Dr. Phil? How's that working for you? Isn't that what he always says? I hardly ever watch him, but I think that's what he says. How's that working for you? We go to Dr. Phil. We go to Oprah. We go to self-help. We go to dessert. We go to whatever makes us feel good. We don't go to the Lord. We don't quiet down before the Lord. And we desperately need that contemplative, meditative time sitting before the Lord, ruminating on passages of scripture. Make sure you have your Bible with you when you go to the Lord in prayer. In verse one, David is asking the Lord to preserve him. Yeah, David is the writer of this psalm. We must reorient ourselves to take shelter in the Lord. We cope with low self-esteem by recognizing that we have no good apart from the Lord. You notice that in verse two? Look at verse two. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Can you say that? many of us might think, I got lots of good apart from the Lord. The reality is we have no good apart from the Lord. Sometimes low self-esteem could be due to depression. Sometimes low self-esteem could be due to our self-absorbed culture. And that is exactly why we must reorient ourselves so that everything is about Jesus. We must focus completely and solely on Jesus. We must pour ourselves more and more into him. And we're going to come back to that as we get to verse 11, that our desire, our satisfaction is all from Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Other people can say what they want. And sticks and stones do break our bones and words do hurt us. That's the reality even MRI studies will show that reality. But we go back to the Lord and we say, I get my confidence in you. My hope is in you. My trust in you is in you. My confidence in it is in you. We, uh, verse 2 is an example, though, of hyperbole to show how important the Lord is to David. Certainly he has good, but he's using hyperbole, exaggeration, literary exaggeration. Say, I have no good apart from you, though. And then we cope with low self-esteem by delighting in other Christians. Verse 3. How is our involvement in the community? God works through the word of God and God works through the church. And we need the community of the Christians, the community of Christians, the community of the church. I talked about the persecuted church earlier. I guarantee you, when all is stripped away and Christians are being persecuted, and they're meeting underground, they're meeting in, 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 in secret. The community of Christ means so much to them. So much more than an hour on Sunday morning. Community. Psalm 16:3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom Is all my delight. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. David points to the saints in the land. In context, he said that he has no good apart from the Lord, but now he seems to want to acknowledge the saints in the land. They are his delight. He's delight with the the saints in the land. A, A corollary example would be us having delight in other Christians, Sunday school, small groups, prayer groups, prayer partners, corporate worship. We encourage one another. We help each other out. Hebrews ten twenty five. Do not forsake the assembling together as some are in the habit of doing. But continue to meet together to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That we need each other. We're not lone ranger Christians. We're not living on an island all by ourselves. They are his delight. We need the body of Christ to help us. We cope with low self-esteem by leaning on the everlasting arms. The whole Psalm 16 is about leaning on the everlasting arms of Christ, reorienting ourselves and going to him and saying, give me help. Lord, consider their threats. Actually, that's what happens in Acts 4. The Christians are persecuted and they go back and they have this amazing prayer meeting and they say, consider their threats. Consider, Lord, you know what's going on. Lord, you know what they're saying. Lord... It hurts. Acknowledge it. It does hurt. Lord, help. Lord, encourage me. Lord, I need you. Lord, I'm going to lean on the everlasting arms. Reorient ourselves in the Lord. We cope with low self esteem by recognizing God will not let us suffer in hell. As Jesus was raised from the dead, so will we. Look at verses 10 and 11. This is powerful. Psalm 16:10. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your holy one see corruption." Sheol would be a word for, for the grave or, or Hades back then. Um, it's not total hell, but it's an intermediate state. And this is David writing about his life, but it also applied to the future Messiah, the future anointed one, Jesus. We know that since the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit applied these verses, verses late eight through 11. To Jesus in the New Testament. In Acts 2, verses 25 through 28, the Holy Spirit, speaking through Peter, applied these verses to Jesus. That Jesus' body would not stay in the tomb. Jesus would be raised, and he was raised. And it applies to us. As Jesus lives, so will we live again. Verse 10 is also cited in Acts 13, 35. David is saying that he is rescued after death. This means that in the original context, David knew that God would deliver him from from what he was facing. And this especially applied by Peter to Jesus. Peter goes on following Acts 2.28 that David was seeing the Messiah. David, in Psalm 16.10, was actually seeing, inspired by the Holy Spirit, inspired by God, seeing the Messiah and that the Messiah would not stay in the tomb. The Messiah would be resurrected. The Messiah would live again. Jesus would be delivered from the grave. We must reorient ourselves to who we are in Christ. Jesus will deliver you from the grave as well. The Messiah was resurrected. Jesus lives. He lives with us today. We we, we should not only celebrate that on Easter. We should not only celebrate that on Resurrection Sunday. We should celebrate that every single day that we serve a risen Savior. A professor from Dallas Theological Seminary says, this is one of the few clear references to the resurrection in the Old Testament. We see it also in Isaiah 26, 19 and Daniel 12, 2. Because Jesus lives, you can face tomorrow. Because Jesus lives, you will be resurrected. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. Who are you in Christ? They can hurt us, and the world will hurt us. But ultimately, we have so much in Christ. Even death is victory for the Christian. I think that's what David is saying here. Who are you in Christ? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that when we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. It's the, it's the idea of metamorphosis. A caterpillar being changed to a butterfly, we are being changed into, into men and women of God. We are new creations. We cope with low self-esteem by reorienting ourselves to who we are in Christ. This is not only about our eternal life, but our life now. If you know Jesus, you are regenerated. The Holy Spirit has given you new life so that you, are re- so that you could receive him as Lord and Savior. See John 3, 3-17 about that. If you, are, if you are in Christ, if you know Jesus, you are sanctified and being sanctified. This means that God has set you apart for his purposes and God is setting you apart by making you more like him. If you know Jesus, God has set you apart. God is making you more like him. God has set you apart for eternal life in him. That's what sanctification means. If you know Jesus, you are justified. This means that God has clothed you in Jesus' righteousness. He has declared you righteous God looks upon you and he sees Jesus' righteousness in you. He doesn't see you as a sinner anymore. He sees you as righteous, as holy, as, as, as perfect. You are declared righteous. If you know Jesus, you are adopted as a child of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we would be called children of God reorient yourselves to all these awesome truths. If you know Jesus, the wrath of God has been removed as Jesus absorbed the wrath of God. See Romans 3:25. Jesus took your place on the cross. He substituted himself in your place. If you know Jesus, you will be glorified. This means that when we know Jesus, he will perfect us in him when we join him in heaven. Romans chapter 8 verse 30. It's called the golden chain of salvation. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he will glorify. He is going to perfect us in heaven. We know Jesus. We have so much. And part of that's about eternal life, but it's also about the fullness, the complete, the abundant life now living with Jesus. Right now, you are a child of God. Right now, God does not call you sinners, but saints. The world will say things about us. Your coworkers, your family members, all the people you see, they'll hurt you. But remember who you are in Christ. I, and I, I'm serious, I mean this. I, and these are just theological things I just shared with you. Put them on your refrigerator. Recite it in prayer every day. Write about it in a prayer journal. This is who you are in Christ. And we could even go on. How awesome it is to be adopted into God's family. When we deal with low self-esteem, we must reorient ourselves to those, these awesome realities. Also, remember, every human being is made in the image of God. Reorient yourself. Next, we cope with low self-esteem by asking the Lord to make known to us the path of life. In his presence, having fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is how Psalm 16 ends. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, you make known to me the path of life. Who makes known to us the path of life? God. You make known to me the path of life, God. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In whose presence? In God's presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. At whose right hand? God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you know of the ministry Desiring God, which came off the book Desiring God by John Piper, this is... um, in many ways, what that, the verse that that whole book was written about, though he used a lot of other scripture too. In verse 11, we see a powerful verse about trust. God makes known to David and to us the path of life. Have you ever asked for help and you've been down and and you're praying and in your prayer, you're also acknowledging that you got yourself in the situation. I mean, it's somewhat humorous, but not, right? I mean, maybe you're not like me. We're all different, but that certainly happens with me where I'm praying about a certain need and I'm thinking God could be looking down on me thinking you got yourself in the mess. You get yourself out of it. Many times we need objective truth. That's what counseling can help with. That's what Christian friends can help with and small groups and prayer partners. Sometimes we're dealing with certain things because... We do not allow the Lord to make known to us the path of life. We cannot say in God's presence there is fullness of joy. We cannot say at God's right hand our pleasures forevermore because we're seeking help on all these other places. And when that hurts, it hurts all the more because our confidence is not in God to begin with. For example, if we get our self-worth by the opinions of others instead of God, the opinions of others will bring us down every single time. If we get our self-worth by our social status, by our job occupation, what happens if you're laid off or if you lose that or if you're not getting the sales needed or when you retire? If you get your self-worth by certain possessions or or monetary items, what's gonna happen if that's taken away? If we get our self-worth by all the wrong things, And that's not saying you need a job, you need money. They're not wrong in and of themselves. It is wrong to get our value, our worth from any of that. We need to work, it's right to work. We need to be successful. It's good to pray for success. If you're doing what God calls you to do as a salesman or as a manager, as a business owner or as a waiter or as a waitress or as a restaurant manager, it's good to do that right. It's good to do that the best of your ability. It's good to be proud in your work. But remember, our worth must come from the Lord. Our value must come from the Lord. You make known to me the path of life. This is about speaking to God. God, you make known to me the path of life. God, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. God, at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. We could even pray that. We could turn it into a prayer. We could say, Lord, I'm not there yet, but Lord, I pray that you will make known to me the path of life. Lord, I pray that you are my desire. You are my hope. We can connect this with Psalm 42. As a deer pass through streams of living water, oh Lord, may my, may, may I thirst for you. Lord, may, may, may I get my satisfaction in you. May my desire be in you. May my security be in you. May my hope be in you. I love the video of Francis Chan where he says, puts a hat on with all these little things hanging off the hat. Uh, clothes and money, and all these other things. He's in L.A. He says, I don't know about you, but this is what it's like walking around. There's these temptations all around us. And so he put visual items of the temptations hanging on the hat. In America, it's hard to let God make known to us the path of life. There's so many other things pulling for our attention. God makes known to David and to us a path of life. Our path of life is only in God. In God's presence is fullness of joy. Our joy is only in God. David is, this. David is saying this about him, but we can apply it to us. Our path of life is only in God. Now at God's right hand are pleasures and those pleasures are forevermore. Reoint yourself in God. Only at God's right hand. God's hand of authority. There are other things we can do for Self-esteem. I am mainly focused on reorienting ourselves to who we are in Christ and focusing on God because I believe that's first and foremost most important. I believe in counseling. I believe in medication when necessary. I believe in other types of therapy. But the first and most important type of therapy is reorienting ourselves in God. The first and most important type of therapy is making sure that we are right with God. God, God will let you go through guilt and even make you miserable to the point of repentance because he's drawing, drawing you to him. So the first and most important thing is to, turn, is to make sure you're focused on God. And whenever they're perfect, I'm not trying to make you scrupulous or schizophrenic about it, if you, if you reflect in your prayer time and you think I'm already seeking God and dealing with this, then keep praying about it and get other forms of help through your church community, through counseling, through, through medical help. Get other forms of help. There are other things we can do. In the sermon notes, uh, uh, J.P. Moreland, who's a Christian philosopher, uh, wrote in his book, Finding Quiet, about different types of, um, of, of more therapeutic types of ways, which I wrote about, and they're listed here in your notes, and you can look at them. You can pick up a copy when you leave. I'm going to actually skip over those. They are really they're good ways to reorient our thinking, and they're biblical. Oftentimes, we are dealing with more and more low, low self-esteem because we're uh, letting the enemy tell us lies, Right? you're not good enough, or anybody could do that. You think you did a good job, anybody could do that. You need to rebuke and respond to the lies. So if you're dealing with low self-esteem, I encourage you, get a copy of the sermon and and read that part right there and pray about it. I encourage you to, I'd be glad to help you and support you in other ways. I encourage you to seek Christian counseling and and talk to your Christian friends and others. Uh, John Piper will help us wrap this up. He says, in this life of sin and pain, joy is embattled. Just like faith. And Paul says to Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. In 1 Timothy 6.12. So it is with joy. It is with joy. We we, we must work for it. We must work for and fight for the good fight of the faith. Paul said to the Corinthians, we work with you for your joy. We have to fight for the joy in the Christian life, don't we? We say that we can have joy in Christian life, but it's not easy, is it? We have to fight for it. Here are uh, Fifteen pointers to how we can fight for joy in the Christian life. 15 pointers for how we can fight for joy in the Christian life. Realize, number one, realize that authentic joy in God is a gift. You must pray about it, pray for it, seek the Lord for it. Realize that joy must be fought for relentlessly, and don't be put off by the paradox of these first two pointers it's a gift. And it must be fought for. And by the way, if you're growing in Christ, the devil's going to attack. There really is a spiritual battle out there and a spiritual warfare, and the devil will try to rain on your parade and bring you down. The first time I gave a sermon, I was in senior in high school, and the pastor came out and said, "Good job." Now the devil's gonna rain on your parade and he's right. Anytime you do something good, the devil will attack. And I don't even know if it was good. I don't go back and listen to it, but the devil will attack. We have to fight for the joy from the Holy Spirit. And joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, by the way. Love, joy, peace, and so on. Resolve to attack all known sin in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Learn the secret of gutsy guilt. How to fight like a justified sinner. You are declared righteous in God. And once you repent of your sins, the devil will try to rain on you and it make you feel the, the guilt. God lets you have the guilt to make you repent. After you repent, the devil tries to make you stay in guilt. Realize that the battle is primarily a fight to see, to see God for who he is. Meditate on the word of God day and night. Meditate on it. Take a few passages of scripture, like 2 Corinthians 5.17 about us being new in Christ the old is gone, the new has come. Meditate on it, ruminate on it all day long. Take a picture of it, make it a screenshot on your phone, put it in your steering wheel. So that all day long, you're reminded that you are new in Christ. Or take 1 John 3, 1, about how you are a child of God and ruminate on it all day long. Meditate on scripture. Pray earnestly and continually for open heart eyes and an inclination for God. Pray that God opens your eyes and gives you more and more and more of an inclination for him. That we can be grateful for the good things he's given us, uh, but don't let them become idols. It's all about Jesus in our life. Learn to preach to yourself rather than listen to yourself. I shared that a few weeks ago, if you recall, and I don't blame you if you don't, that oftentimes we're listening to ourselves rather than preaching to ourselves. We need to rebuke negative thinking. We need to rebuke it. Learn to... Spend time with God-saturated people who help you see God and fight the fight. Spend time with God-saturated people who help you see God and fight the fight. Be patient in the night of God's seeming absence. Sometimes, oftentimes we think the people in the Bible had this daily relationship with God. They did, but that doesn't mean God spoke to them verbally every day. There were years and years and years between the time periods when God spoke to Abraham. Abraham. There are many psalms where the psalmists are crying out, where are you, God? We have a relationship with God, but sometimes he does feel absent. Be patient in the night of that. Get the rest, exercise, and proper diet that your body was designed by God to have. We need rest. We need proper diet. We need exercise. And all those are a major, major factor in how we feel each day. Make a proper use of God's revelation in nature. Take a walk in the woods. How often are we stopping and meditating on the beauty of God's creation? We call that general revelation. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Go out at night and look at the stars. And praise God. Don't just look at the stars and leave it at that. Praise God. Give yourself that quiet time. Read great books about God and biographies of great saints. Do the hard and loving thing for the sake of others, your verbal witness and deeds of mercy. Get a global vision for the cause of Christ and pour yourself out for the unreached. Maybe God is allowing you to go through difficulty because he's calling you to something greater and he's preparing you for that. There's a book by John Piper titled, When I Don't Desire God, How to Fight for Joy, and all those truths are in there with more scriptures Uh, And then, as I said, there's more in the notes, which you can pick up, and there's also on my blog, which you can get to from the website. There's more therapeutic ideas. But we cope with low self-esteem by, first and foremost, reorienting ourselves to who we are in Christ and then, obviously, getting help in other ways. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we need thee every hour. And I know here in just a moment, we're gonna close the service with that beautiful chorus, Knowing You, Jesus. There is no greater thing... You are our all. You are the best. You are our joy. You are our righteousness. And we love you, Lord. Lord God, I pray that you would encourage us today. Lord God, I'm sure that everyone here today from time to time does deal with low self-esteem. Everyone here today from time to time feels like they are carrying, they're pulling along that chain with all these weights and all this guilt. and, And many of them are things that we need to let go of. Many of them are things that we don't need to be burdened by. Many of them are, we're just weighing things of the past. And, oh, Lord, as we know, our thoughts build tracks, literal tracks in our minds. And we're stuck in a rut. And I pray that you would help us letting go. Help us letting go. Help us surrendering to you. And, Lord, I speak from personal experience how hard it is to let go. And sometimes it's a a true neurotransmitter medical issue. And in that case, I pray that you would give permission to people to feel comfortable seeking medical support. Help others to let go of the stigma about counseling. Help others here certainly to turn to their church family more, celebrate recovery. And first and foremost, may we all, may we all, may we all seek you, spend time with you, Pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we go into this beautiful closing song. If God has laid anything in your heart, the altars are open. I know that I announce this every week. The altars are open. Come forward. Uh, We have people here that would just love to pray with you. And we need to pray for one another and support one another.